0: Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am so glad you've joined me today. I'm going to be talking about today uh, the book Keeping Bees Alive Sustainable Beekeeping Essentials by Lawrence John Connor. Um, this is a new book that's out and uh, I'm going to talk to you about just some things in it, some thoughts about it, and uh, read you a little selection. From it, that happens to be the answer to a question that a listener had written in and wanted to hear more about, so Lawrence John Connor he is a fixture in um beekeeping books. This is his blurb on the back. in five decades, entomologist Dr. Larry Connor has been a university professor run a bee breeding program, and become established as a key voice in the beekeeping world. He has written dozens of articles for bee journals and a number of books, including Increase Essentials, which is a good book, I will say. Um, all these are by these are by Wickwas Press. That's out of Michigan. Bee Sex Essentials, Queen Rearing Essentials, Bee Essentials, A Field Guide, Swarm Essentials with Steve Rapasky, and... Honeybee biology and beekeeping with Dewey Caron, which is the big, um, bigger textbook that I think I have shared with you. In his newest book, *Keeping Bees Alive*, Connor discusses sustainable beekeeping, looking at the causes of colony loss and detailing how to keep colony numbers stable and growing. He also reviews concepts of biodynamic beekeeping. So uh, this book um, I happened to pick up at the conference that we had recently the state the fall state or they call it summer (laughs) i think it's in august i think of that as fall but um even though it's still hot as blazes actually it's still hot as blazes here in western north carolina um in the mountains it's it's hot for us we should be having chilly weather by now in fact the traditional frost date for where my farm is located um the traditional frost frost dates in about 10 days or so and it has been the furthest thing from getting ready for frost that you've ever seen however next week all of a sudden we go from you know low well you don't know i'm trying to stop saying that it's so hard it's so hard if you ever try recording yourself the weird things you say <laughs> but um we're going to go from temps somewhere in the low 60s at night down to temps in the low 40s at night and all that happens pretty much overnight, one day next week. One of my tasks before then is to go out and just make sure that my um, little small hives have their bottom boards stuck in um, on the ones that have screens. Just to clarify on that, you know, a full size hive, those temps are perfectly fine and the ventilation is good uh, with the um, screened bottom boards or it's it's okay um and the, but then on the little bitty hives that might just be one layer of bees on you know in one eight frame box um i like to put their bottom board in once the temps get below uh, clustering temperature just because i don't want that extra stress on that tiny baby hive uh some of these as i mentioned before are destined for the bee barn which there's no progress there but it's got to happen pretty quick um I just I, I think it's easier for them to maintain their brood temperature once I put that bottom board back in on these little small hives um, and I'll, I'll leave that at that I'll try to talk more about in the next one because I want to try to stick to my subject for once keeping bees alive sustainable beekeeping essentials by Lawrence John Connor my overall review of the book is um, if you're into what we talk about often on this podcast if you're into all this about um, keeping your bees alive and perhaps working on um, more chemical free beekeeping this is a pretty good book if you heard some hesitation there my only hesitation well first I should back up and say (laughs) of the many ways that I have made a living and made extra money in my past is uh, as an editor and Just to tell you something, uh, I got the name from one of my clients who said that my Indian name for editing work was Cut Cut. And that is to say, I can be a pretty tough editor. And I've actually turned down editing work because I did not feel like the people were up to the level of editing that I would give them. So that's my little disclaimer on why I can be pretty tough on uh, authors. But what i love about this book is that there are some just little snippets that are for me were worth the price of the whole book and i'll tell you about one on genetics later my only concern i guess and if if i had been the editor i would have uh, talked to the author about this would be kind of defining who the audience is for this book because as a person with a fair amount of experience I really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I got some new um, tips, some new facts. But also, to be honest, I pretty much, there's a lot of really basic stuff in here that I just skimmed through. Um, Things that I feel very familiar with, just really basic bee biology and basic, um, you know, citing your apiary, real beginner level stuff. So there's good beginner level stuff in it at the same time uh, just mixed all in is some pretty advanced stuff or I should say you would need to be advanced to really get how cool those details are you know he he, at the end of a a very beginner section then he'll go and by the way there was this great study by so-and-so and 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 there's some really cool information but that is in my opinion on a more uh, advanced level so I found it um, uneven, I guess would be, it would kind of be in terms of editing um, between advanced and beginner. So if you are a beginner, it's still good money spent. I still recommend uh, buying it just because it's got a lot, it's got a good overview of a lot of basic B biology stuff. And for you guys, as you're reading, if you hit, you know, difficult paragraphs about studies and you're going well I don't understand how that connects with what I just read we'll just roll with it and one day you will (laughs) um on the other hand if you are an advanced beekeeper I think it's worth it it has um some good details like I said that I think are worth the whole book one of them and just to give you an example of what I'm talking about about what I perceive just as my personal opinion and as as uneven um level of content in terms of beginner advanced. So we go into uh, very basic stuff about citing your hive and the life cycle of the queen and um, all that. And then all of a sudden there was this little section where he goes back to his early days where he worked. He was part of the team that worked with the Starline hybrid honeybee and which is is pretty fascinating in terms of genetics and so after a, a lot of beginner stuff it, here's a here's a, some paragraphs and some chart about bud kale's crisscrossing mating plan of the Starline breed which was two inbred lines that when you cross them you got the strong um, hybrid bee so there's a chart here that even I kind of sat and looked at it for some time, and it was like a uh, year one. The grafting mothers were variety H X G. The drone supply was variety A E X F. Year two, the grafting mothers were A E X F, which was the drone supply from last year, and the grafting and the drone supply was from the grafting mothers H X G. So you kind of see that you have to be pretty geek to enjoy that. And I studied on it in a minute and thought that's interesting and I'm going to go back and study for that and then a while later is the paragraph that I would have paid the price of the whole book for because he talks about if you are um, if you have a yard that's basically your mating yard the pattern of having your um, queen mother hives or the the daughters the virgin queens you're going to mate there. And then the drone supply are your breeder hives from last year. See, I can't even keep it in my head long enough because I can't find the page to tell you about it. But that, that solved a whole problem I was had been pondering on for months about how to manage the different lines that I have uh, in my yard in a way I'm not trying to keep them pure or anything um, because that's a whole different can of worms. But just in order to get the best crosses without... Um, heading down the inbreeding road so that paragraph for me worth the price of the whole book but you see how that information might come as a shock to a person who is reading where to put their apiary you know in the sun facing south southeast that paragraph might come as a shock so this is both, I think, the, um, the beauty and the challenge of talking, or in this case, reading um, a really experienced beekeeper that they're trying to teach you the important basics without which you're not probably going to keep bees alive for long. Um, but at the same time, they're this encyclopedia of information and this, this much more advanced pop- topics are going to pop out. Um, so uh, I, th- I think it's a good beginner book if you just don't get bogged down when he suddenly goes advanced on you now there is a chart another chart here that i found fascinating this is in the chapter on obtaining bees and one of the uh, the good uh, kind of beginner solid information that i really liked is he goes through each of the ways you might obtain your bees and talks about the pros and the cons and that is a very good discussion um from packages to nukes, etc. But again, here's this fascinating chart, and this the source is Dr. Jim Haskell, um, out of the Beekeepers Association of Northern Virginia survey results. So I am going to go online and look up these survey results because the chart has intrigued me, and but it doesn't ha, uh, it doesn't answer some questions I have about it. So what this chart is about is it, this is on, if you happen to have this book, it's on page 81, table 2. And this chart is titled, Colony Survival After One Winter, Summary of Beekeepers Association of Northern Virginia Survey Results. And this chart really backs up, um, in my opinion, all the things he said about the best and least best ways to get bees. All right, at the bottom of the chart, and this it says it's a three-year weighted chart. I guess that means averaged. So see this is one of my questions. Exactly. Three year weighted. I want to find out what that means about this chart. But packages from Georgia. Colony survival after one winter. Twenty percent. Okay, here I I, this is not me picking on Georgia this time. I just want to say Georgia. It's not me. Um this is Jim Haskell. Dr. Jim Haskell. All right. So packages from Georgia had a 20% survival rate after one winter, locally produced nukes with Georgia queens had a 25% survival rate. So that would be like if I made you up a nuke, which I wouldn't do this, out of my yard, and then put a Georgia queen that I had bought because I can't get my queens as early as you can get Georgia queens. And like I said, I don't agree with this method. Um, but locally produced nukes with Georgia queens had a 25% survival. Queens from Georgia had a 35% survival, and so this is one of my questions about the chart. Obviously, that queen's not out there surviving on her own, so are they talking about, I guess they're talking about requeening a hive with a queen from Georgia is, is the best I can guess. I don't know that that's accurate yet, and that survival rate is a fairly dismal 35%. Now, beekeeper-produced queens had a 60% survival rate. I just want to pause there, because I don't know about you, but the when I first started talking about making my own queens back in my first uh, bee club, I can't tell you how many people said, "Oh, oh, you you know, you cannot produce on a backyard level. you can't produce the quality of queen." And they would go into this long list of reasons why I could not produce the quality of queens in my backyard that if I bought from a queen producer. And I went ahead, Um, some would say, but well, my spouse would say because I'm hard headed, but, um, I went ahead and I found in my own personal experience, I could produce Queens that lived longer and were stronger than the Queens that at the time that I could buy, which are probably, you know, Southern Georgia, Florida Queens. Um, so, but here we have beekeeper produced Queens. So this is kind of like random beekeepers producing Queens in their backyard in Northern Virginia, and they had a 60% survival rate. Okay, so queens from Georgia, 35% survival rate. Beekeeper-produced queens doesn't go into how they produce, 60% survival rate. Now, okay, this is another question about this chart that had I been the editor, cut would have asked, uh, beekeeper-produced queens, does that mean grafted? Because the column right above that, or the row right above that, is bee-raised queens. So it says bee-raised queens, emergency, supersedure, and swarms. So that, with the exception of the swarms, is what I would call a a frame-based queen rearing, where you just take the frame that has a queen cell on it for whatever reason. Now, this is what's interesting, is the beekeeper-produced queens had a 60% winter survival. The bee-raised queens had a 65% survival rate. Now, we're comparing this to packages from Georgia, 20%. Locally produced nukes with Georgia queens, 25. Queens from Georgia, 35. Beekeeper produced queens, we don't know their methods, 60%. Bee raised queens, 65%. Okay, this next one, we're moving up the chart here. Locally produced mite resistant queens. So someone in Northern Virginia is working with mite resistant um, genetics. They probably got, you know, a, a mite resistant queen from some breeder and they're Raising daughters is what I would guess from the words locally produced mite resistant queens. They have a seventy percent survival rate for their first winter. And then the top at eighty seven percent survival after one winter is locally produced nukes with mite resistant queens, eighty seven percent. Now, so that what that sounds like to me, locally produced nukes with mite resistant queens, it doesn't say that that's a locally produced mite-resistant queen, which is the column below, so I'm not sure where these queens came from, whether they were raised by the same people who did the nukes. It's not clear from this chart, but, but the numbers are real clear. A package from Georgia, you got a 20% winter survival first rate. A locally produced nuke with a mite-resistant queen which to me is the holy grail of buying bees. Indeed, it's worth it. 87% first winter survival rate. So that table is fascinating. And I'm going to be tracking down more stuff from Dr. Jim Haskell to find out some, uh, to drill down, as they say, um, and find out specifics on those. So, you know, this is the kind of geek chart that, like I said, that was worth the whole book um, for, for me to, to uh, find that. The other thing that I love about this book is his introduction. Um, his introduction, and first, I just I love the title, "Education and Pre-Training," which I love this because that to me implies that not only are you studying up before you get your bees, but you are training with bees before you get your bees. Um, this, I think, in my opinion, people waste a tremendous amount of money. Buying their bees and all that bee stuff, before they have actually gone out with a beekeeper, put on the bee suit, um, or not if that's how you roll. But you might not become a beekeeper if that's the first in- your first encounter with bees, depending on their temperaments. But um, you know, and actually get your hands in a hive, or or just open the hive, you know, and be there with your nose up close when the beekeeper is inspecting the hive, because some people they you know if a beekeeper opens up a big old robust production hive and starts hauling off boxes and packed with bees and there's a giant swarm of bees around you for some people that's instantly going to tell them they have just changed their mind about being a beekeeper for other people they are sold they want to learn how to do this um i don't know if i've said this before but i think what absolutely hooked me the first time my uh my the person who was gonna be my first mentor opened up a hive when that smell wafted out. I mean it was it was propolis mostly, but it smelled like, you know, wax and flowers and forests and just the most heavenly smell in the world. I was hooked. It got me right through the nose. Hook hooked through the nose, <laughs> yeah. But um but I think for some people opening up a full size hive would be freak them out so bad that they might not take up beekeeping and and maybe that's unfair because even though you're going to build up to a full-size hive you know you're not going to have that for a while and they're kind of more manageable and during that time you could be working on your beekeeping skills and just getting over the nervousness which for me lasted for a good four years I was actively nervous every time I did bee management for the first four years and I just began to think that that was just going to be how I felt when I opened my beehives but then lo and behold about year eight um, it just went away and and now it's more I don't get nervous unless I drop something but um, now it's more just pure fascination and eagerness to see what is going on in there and um, just all that things that 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 after those those years you're looking at a frame on a whole different level you're looking at the hive on a whole you're looking at the bees and it is just the best feeling in the world so let me put that out there beginners if you are coming to the end of your first season and you were like man i to be honest i was terrified every time i opened that hive that's okay that does not mean you're not meant to be a beekeeper that's just part of the learning process and this as I have emphasized over and over, this is a long haul skill. And anybody who's like, oh, anybody could be a beekeeper, I, th- you just ask them. I mean, anybody can be a beekeeper if they're determined enough. But there's not many people determined enough. And and which brings me back <laughs> long, long way home uh, to education and pre-training. This is a killer intro, um, Dr. Connor, I have to say, because he basically says, look, You need to invest some time in education and pre-training before you get any bees. And he recommends, he has a solution called Three Methods, Three Ways. And that is, he said that means you should use three styles of learning and three versions of each one. And he is not kidding around. He says an excellent training program would involve a minimum of three good beekeeping books, Three good B courses plus three fantastic B schools, which I find amazing. Even I didn't do three B schools, but I have heard of people who, you know, went to a B school, went through a season of bees, and then they went back to B school because I can guarantee this. You would hear all that teaching on a whole new level because you know how the first B school, you're you're just hit with so much information that you're like, I have no idea what they just said, but I'm writing it down. I'm studying. Well, I hope you're saying that. Um, and it the later on when you have a little bit of experience with actual bees when you hear that information it sets in a whole new place in your brain so that's a pretty good um i mean he's set a high bar three styles of learning three versions of each and i think if people did that for a full season um in terms of their background training and then this is my recent soapbox Go through a season where you assist someone. And I mean, I can just hear people now because I see this all the time on Facebook. Um, oh, I can't find anybody. I can't find anybody with bees. Well, okay, I just want to say, well, okay, see, I'm getting smarty. I'm sorry. Let me <laughs> let me get nicer. If you don't have the wherewithal to track down a beekeeper somewhere within driving distance of you, if you don't have the wherewithal to track down a bee club even if you don't particularly like the people and even if you don't particularly like the methods they're espousing if you don't have the toughness the backbone and the determination to find yourself a bee club and find yourself some bee books and to find yourself some beekeepers then to be honest I am not sure if you have the toughness and the persistence to be a beekeeper for the long haul. And if that strikes you as mean, then I'm just asking you, I'm kind of challenging you to decide to be a person tough enough and determined enough to find what it is you need for your beekeeping. And um, if you do, if you practice being tough and determined and persistent on those topics, you're going to develop the skills it takes to be a good beekeeper over the long haul that's my that's my soapbox on that so um, in that introduction he talks about um, you know how to get your three sets of information so he has um, lists of series on YouTube for example that are reliable which that reliable word is a big issue on um, YouTube um, and he has uh, the B journals how to get those he has his list of what he feels like are um, good beekeeping beginner books and actually this is kind of interesting if I understand the chapter if I understand that section correctly um it's like it's almost like he I think he wants you to buy a super beginner book a first year beekeeper book and a more advanced reference text and that that would make sense to me um and he also emphasizes you want to take in different opinions and experiences and that I totally agree with because you're not going to know for a few years even really what kind of management pattern that that you want to use it it really at least in my experience it, it takes um it takes following and understanding what several beekeepers are doing before you can reliably go okay this is the pattern that I want to follow for my bee yard And I'm not saying wait to get your bees till you've, you know, picked out your management plan because you really won't know what, how you want to manage until you actually have bees to manage. But the part I vehemently agree with Mr. Connor is to do all this on the front end before you order bees and equipment. I just feel like it's malpractice for anybody to suggest you order equipment and bees before you have been there you don't have to be even assisting but you know elbow to elbow shadowing a beekeeper as they inspect or or do procedures or something to beehives, just to be that up close then I think you're getting a feeling if you have this intense curiosity after that then then you know there's your son (laughs) and but if you are just like if you feel new hesitation after that that's not related just to being nervous by the bees, because you can get over being nervous about the bees. But if all that felt really overwhelming, like more so that it just drowned out your curiosity and now you're not as curious anymore, don't give up. But if, if that's true, just decide, you know, I'm gonna shadow this uh, beekeeper a little longer before I take the plunge and become a beekeeper myself. And there's there was another detail that he talked about um, that I'd never thought about, the difference between shadowing And mentoring, um, or being having someone to mentor, because in shadowing you're just there observing. Which, as I've said many times, you can learn a ton when you're new beekeeper by shadowing, and that's a good word for it. And that's different because you can shadow anybody, you know, for a day, or you can shadow somebody at a community bee yard. Um, If you're in the area of uh, Asheville, there's the Center for Honeybee Research, and they're always looking for volunteers to work in some of their testing yards and you could shadow the people who are actually doing the vo- the volunteer work so all those things um like i said I'm, I'm for this book and so now you know i've talked almost the whole time and haven't actually done the reading <laughs> so i will i will make a commitment to you that i'm going to do the reading in the very next in the very next one and i will not wait a week. I'm committing to you that I'll do that. So I'm about to sign off. I hope all of you are having a good autumn. If you are any, if any of you are beekeepers out in Montana that got dumped on with snow, oh my gosh, I could never live in Montana. But I hope that, you, that y'all are doing okay. <laughs> and I'm sending out my thoughts to, to all of you in Montana under snow. Have a great week, everybody. Well, you're going to hear from me before the week, but have a great week anyway. I appreciate every single one of you um, listening to this podcast. And I'll wrap up here. If you're loyal enough to stay to the very end, I want to tell you, I'm going to be talking more about, um, in upcoming shows, about ways that if you choose and if it feels like something fun for you, that you can support this show. Right this minute, I am trying to save up to buy a recording device a, a good quality recording device to record phone interviews with beekeepers that i would like to interview which is another word to say get them and pick their brain <laughs> and i'd like to share those interviews with you it turns out it's complicated to record a high quality audio and by high quality I just mean as good as the one you're hearing now. I'm not talking about studio quality because you know you don't get that with this podcast. But um just even this good of audio quality is very hard to achieve on a phone interview. And I have though uh, been researching and tracked down the recorder and the cables that will make that possible and um I'm trying to save up for that. I'm going to include a link in the show notes that if you feel inclined to make a contribution toward buying the recorder device, I would be so appreciative. There's no pressure if that's difficult for you, but if this if you're hearing this and going, "Hey, yeah, I want her to have that recorder, then please click that link in the show notes and um, you can send a little money. I will mention you as a producer, on, on my recorded shows because you will have helped make it happen and with that point I can say thank you to Deborah, out of Georgia. Can you believe that? She's out of Georgia and she's contributed to the recorder already as much as as bad as I talk about um, Georgia bees but she knows what I mean. So thank you Deborah, for the seed money to start the fund, the recorder fund. I can't tell you what it did to my heart to receive that because it just made it feel like there are people out there enjoying this and getting value so thank you i'll talk to you guys soon okay bye